tell us a little bit about how, you know, speaking of greenhouse versus an artificially lit environment, can you tell us a little bit about how those kind of compare to each other? You know, like maybe different kinds of crops, like, you know, flour versus like extracts or something they may lend themselves better to or just different environments? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, on that note, we're, we're kind of learning every day. And <laughs> yeah. something I, I like to say is, you know, so many, so many people and many companies, depending on how they, you know, approach their products in regard to the consumer perspective, they... What we're doing with agriculture is we're not trying to mimic nature because nature has a completely different objective with crops. Uh, as far as nature is concerned, if they can get a crop uh, to reproduce in one year, then you've satisfied nature's objective. However, humans, in many cases, for example, with lettuce, we don't want it to flower. We don't want it to bulk, but yet we want to accumulate biomass and harvest the plant seven times a year. <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah, your goal is like the plant's goal may be to set seed, but that's not the same goal that we have. Exactly. So we have to be careful on how we use what we learn from nature and the natural processes in the environment to not mimic it perfectly because that'll reduce the potential of satisfying the human objectives with crops. So, um, and so what we, if you could remind me your question, I got on a soapbox. <laughs> sure, no worries. Um, yeah, like how, how do greenhouses and indoor compare? Obviously, you have to run them quite differently. It's going to depend on your location. But are there certain situations where you want to lean more towards one or the other? Sure. So I, I think in uh, something that needs to be brought up on this topic is just overall consistency and uniformity throughout the entire year. And that's what we're able to do in completely climate-controlled indoor environments. Greenhouse, you are going to be subject to the natural solar radiation change throughout the year. Um, and with that, you also are subject to the difference in light quality throughout the year. And when I say light quality, for those who are listening, this is these are the different pigments of light that have uh, biological activity and that also trigger certain processes in plants. Those are stronger during certain times of the year versus others. And so something that I, I spend a lot of time on and I'm passionate about is trying to understand how we could maximize lighting on crops because that's the number one energy generator. Everything comes after lighting. All environmentals are subject to lighting because they complement the intensity level to maximize the pace of growth. Um, and so in a greenhouse, it's like I said, it's somewhat limiting. Um, and usually it's on a much more uh, larger scale. So in some cases, it's harder to have such precision as you would, let's say, in possibly a two-tier indoor facility. When you say two-tier, tell us a little bit more about what that means. Yes. So uh, like two levels stacked on top of each other. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. W within a single room. Um, and there's challenges that come along with that. And I, you know, I think, like I said, I, we're still learning on how to maximize, you know, the potential of that system because there's, there's still plenty of challenges that, that people face. Um, uh, but yeah, it's, it's just amazing to me at the, at the pace we're learning. And, and that is being in many ways, uh, it's being provoked, uh, by cannabis and, um, and at the same time, we're starting to see when it's appropriate to grow indoors versus in a greenhouse based on what the grower's objective is with the same crop. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So questions that come up that I'm often not able to answer, and you may have some more insight into, uh, people have a lot of questions about how much energy it uses. So obviously, <laughs> there's a lot of different answers to that question, depending on how hot or cold it is outside. And um, 
My favorite is, you know, you can use sodium discharge lights and they're very cheap to buy comparatively, um, but they take a lot more energy than LEDs and then they kick off a lot of heat. So you have to run a lot more HVAC to compensate for that. So it actually uses a lot more energy per square foot. Um, but if you have any kind of rough rules of thumb for how much energy tends to be used in a grow operation per square foot or per kilogram of product or something like that, I'd love to hear something like that. No, it's a great question. Um, and I am not the right person to ask on that one. <laughs> so I, I yeah. usually come in after the fact and help them, you know, tweak the environmentals and with the cultivation of the crops. But I will recommend uh, Nadia Sabay from Dr. Greenhouse is someone that I would consider to be a very qualified reference for those those measurements. Maybe we'll do that. I've taken her indoor grow course and it was super, super helpful. Oh, really? Was that the one recently? It was in Denver. It feels like, I think it was more than a year ago, but okay. um, my sense of time has become very screwy <laughs> over the last couple <laughs> I, of years. I, I don't know what day it is. Yeah. That's, that's. Yeah. yeah, it was good though. I mean, it was mostly about, uh, again, don't get fuzzled into buying cheap lights and then having to buy a $3 million HVAC system to compensate for the heat thrown off by your cheap lights, which is really useful information. It is. And, like. you know, like, like we talk about when I say we need to, you know, in the future, as Precision Ag gets more advanced and the more we learn and the more capabilities that we are able to have, we need to be able to separate each environmental um, independently of one another. And so when we're talking about light and a light fixture, you automatically have three uh, very strong characteristics or, or impactful characteristics on plant growth and development, and that's light intensity, quality, and photo period. Uh, but then with certain legacy technologies, let's say with HPS, you also now have heat. And when, when we know as growers that if we're able to separate heat from these other three characteristics of lighting, we can use heat to our advantage in different ways in, you know, without it being directly linked to light intensity. Whereas in some cases, if you want to really increase light intensity, like you said, your system may be limited because it can't handle that heat load from the lamps. Right. Yeah. It sounds like she has wound up working with a lot of systems that weren't planned 100%, you know, at the outset. And then they get really sad, screwy plants and she kind of, they call her in eventually and they never really had an engineer involved on, on that side of things. And so all their systems are sized wrong. Um, as she was talking about, there was some place that had, gosh, it was like a, a hundred thousand or $500,000 greenhouse. And they wound up needing a $3 million HVAC system to deal with, <laughs> with their lighting situation. So that was that was like a really great eye-opener, I think, for anybody who's trying to get something built, is to really look at how uh, how much HVAC you're going to need, because it's it's it tends to wind up being a lot more than folks think. So that's a big thing to look at in construction. No, completely agree. And it's it's more complex than you would you would assume. <laughs> You know, and there's there's certain things that as a grower you'll you'll want to end up using to your advantage. Like you'll want to have the ability to change the day and night temperature difference called the diff. You'll want to be able to to have the ability to do that to control plant growth and height, especially if you want to you know maximize the amount of space that you have and if you have a two tiered system, etc. So other factors will come into play later on. It's worth doing it right the first time with the right you know right engineer up front. So. Right, for sure. Yeah. So I don't know, that's that's kind of like an amazing uh, <laughs> testament to the importance of planning stuff right at the beginning. I feel like um, kind of an analogy I use with a lot of my clients because they do hire 
who they think are experienced growers, but sometimes they're just folks who were growing like in their backyard in a farmer's market. Um, if you can grow plants really great in a backyard or, um, you know, like in a closet perhaps with some artificial lighting, that's like, you can be really good at that, but it's like being really good at piloting a canoe. And then, um, if you need somebody to drive your nuclear submarine, you know, <laughs> it's a different <laughs> skill set, and, and that's fine. And you can learn to do one and then the other, but don't just assume that a canoe person can, can do a submarine. So no. And I, I love your, your, um, dramatic comparison there because that's the truth, you know, and that, that's the definition of scaling. It's, it's, it's a whole nother ball game. Right. Yeah. And it's, it's not to say like, there's no skill involved in doing a canoe. Like that's not the case, you know? Exactly. Um, I mean, you don't need like good pectoral muscles to drive a submarine either. So <laughs> I, yeah, just different things. Yeah. it's making perfect sense it, for those who actually have been there and seen it and done it. Yeah, it's um, you're right. There's certain skills that are involved and that are needed to do it. Let's say, you know, um, in the basement or in the backyard or in the garage or something. Uh, but once once you end up wanting to turn that into 300 square feet to a million square feet, um, it, it is a different, different ball game. And, you, you know, we're talking about microclimates. We're talking about whole different set of environmental systems. And it's fascinating right now. It's <laughs> good stuff. Amazing. Uh, question for you. Do you know of any good resources? Because there's um, the distinction between like lighting, you've got PAR versus moles and photons. Uh, you've got some stuff coming out in Watts per area. You've got some information that's in lumens. Do you know of any good information sources for folks kind of trying to tease out what each of these mean and which ones should I use? Yes, I'd, I'd love to explain them briefly for a second myself. Yeah. Um, so you're right. There's plenty of ways out there to measure energy and to measure the accumulation of, of energy. Uh, and Something that not only Fluence, you know, where I work is trying to push, but, uh, you know, just um, growers in general, um, as things advance, they're trying to make sure that we all start using the same unit of measure um, so that we can all advance together as an industry, right? So uh, you hear PPFD, and this is photosynthetic photon flux density, and that's a mouthful. And all this is, uh, is the light level at canopy. What is the light level at the top of the canopy? And that's PPFD. And how you measure PPFD is in micromoles per meter, sec per meter squared per second. And this is an instantaneous reading of one second. And uh, for example, um, trying to think of something probably people would, who are listening would know, but lettuce uh, in a controlled environment, um, you can apply you know, 300 PPFD for 16 hours, and that grows a decent lettuce plant when you're just trying to figure out what the light intensity level is uh, in micromoles. You have, you have lumens, you have joules, um, and it's interesting, you know, I work with many growers in multiple countries, and they, they all use these different metrics and uh, to, to dictate their growing practices. And we try to bring to them, you know, let's, let's speak the same language. <laughs> let's start with micromoles. Here's a sensor that we have that we can measure, measure this here together um, and then kind of go from there in explaining, let's say, the technology or, or, or new ways of thinking about lighting. And then you have uh, other terms like uh, DLI, and this, this term is critical when growing in a greenhouse and trying to understand light levels. So in an indoor facility, uh, you don't have any solar radiation and you have a fixed amount of light continuously. 
So it, it makes sense to measure that light with a PPFD meter or a quantum sensor. Uh, because as long as you know the intensity, you know you're going to receive that for as ever long as you have the photo period set for. In a greenhouse, it fluctuates. It has a, uh, during a 24-hour period, let's say that your photo period, the time that light is being applied to plants, is uh, in the winter seven hours. Um, this fits a natural distribution, right, like a bell curve. So in the morning, the sun comes up, the light's not as intense, that light gets more intense throughout the day, and then it peaks around, let's say, one, and then it goes back down and slowly tapers off towards the end of the day, and you fit that natural distribution. So your light intensity changes throughout the entire day. And what DLI is, instead of reading a second reading, because that's not gonna tell you what you want because it's changing every minute, DLI is an accumulation of the entire photo period into moles per meter squared per day. Right. So it's like the day's worth of light that it got. Exactly. Yep. And so, and you, you can, um, you can also, let's say have clouds or other solar interference, um, or you can have hanging baskets moving above the plant where you have shading and not shading. So there's multiple things that, that can hinder a continuous light level. And that's why DLI is so useful for greenhouse growers, because then they know, okay, I can grow a plant at a minimum of a six DLI without having to really know specifics on light intensity. Since we bring up, you know, the transition during the day, I want to mention that, you know, many growers out there are asking for the ability to uh, kind of play with a light. They want to be able to tweak the pigments. Um, to try and provoke different responses in plants. And that is extraordinarily complex um, and something that we have yet to even be able to mimic uh, is the natural transition of light quality throughout you know, a single day. And so, you know, usually in the morning it starts off being blue and then throughout the day you get more of the full spectrum and a lot of green and orange and uh, other pigments. And as you taper off, you get a lot of red and far red. And this transition of light quality um, dictates physiological processes in the plant like cues. Like you have to have a certain red to far red ratio for the plant to perceive the length of the day. And that's at the end of the day that those uh, pigments are, are emitted. And so it's just fascinating to me that like, like we've continuously said, the advances in precision ag, LEDs even are, are allowing us to get to the point where we're starting to talk about these things. Uh, it's, it's really cool. One other acronym I'll, I'll touch on is PAR. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I figured that was one. Um, PAR is photosynthetic active radiation. And so if we think about the visual spectrum, and I like to reference the rainbow of colors, uh, PAR fits the visual spectrum pretty closely. So we can pretty much see every pigment that a plant can uh, use for photosynthesis. And that, that fits, uh, you can measure these different wavelengths of light uh, uh, with the unit of measure of nanometers. So it's usually the PAR spectrum is between 400 and 750 nanometers, and this encompasses every pigment that a human can visually see. Uh, and those are all, uh, those can all be used by the plant. And they have different photoreceptors that use the different pigments independently or have synergistic responses and use together with different recipes. Um, but yes, that's what PAR is. It's biologically active radiation. 
Yeah, that was a good little introduction into lighting. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, just the technology uh, I, I, side. I love like, it. Like, I can go into it all day. But uh, right? as far as another resource, um, so Dr. Eric Runkel from MSU, Michigan State University, has done extensive research on all attributes of light with multiple crops, vertical farming crops, vegetable, ornamental. Um, and he, he and his department in MSU in general is a great resource to understand a lot of these principles and concepts better. Jim Faust at Clemson University is one of the leaders in explaining, at least to the U.S. market, how to maximize understanding DLI. Um, you have others like Bruce Bugby at Utah State University who are leading the way uh, when we really, really get down to the nitty gritty on light quality. Um, and how these different pigments interact with plants together or separately. Yeah, there's plenty of resources out there who are, who are jumping on it. Mm-hmm.